everyone, it's Heather Cabot. Thanks for joining me here on The New Chardonnay, a podcast about enterprise and reinvention in an ever-changing world and conversations with thinkers and doers on the leading edge of that change. This week, Resilience in Action. Two female founders steering their startups through a coronavirus storm and finding a way to leverage their know-how, resources, and networks to help essential workers on the front lines of the crisis. As you'll hear, Lisa Sun, founder and CEO of the fashion company Gravitas New York, and Jane Park, founder and CEO of the reusable gift wrap company Toki, never expected to be producing face masks to donate to hospitals and postal workers. But when the chance to help presented itself, they realized, how could they not? I'm Lisa Sun, and I'm the founder and CEO of Gravitas. Um, our mission as a company is to catalyze confidence uh, for as many women as possible. We launched as a business with a patented technology to help women feel very confident. We patented building shapewear into clothes, but that was many years ago, and we've extended more into lots of different types of apparel. My name is Jane Park, and I am the CEO and founder of Turkey. And Toki is all about reinventing gifting to make it more memorable and sustainable. And we create these gifting experiences where you get to add a QR code, um, sort of video or photo message to make whatever gift you're sending that much more personal and special. And uh, this is a great segue into sort of what we're doing now, because as it turns out, during the you know COVID-19 quarantine, no one was seeing each other and handing each other gifts. Uh, the whole idea of reusable gift wrap became, you know, priority number seven billion. Jane's company based in Seattle and Lisa's company in New York had just partnered on a new joint venture when the virus hit. Jane had just shipped her entire spring summer collection to us of fabric, this beautiful made in Japan, 100% tight weave cotton, quilter's cotton. Uh, and it was sitting in bolts and rolls in our office, uh, which I didn't, I wasn't going to be able to make anything for her until we mm-hmm. came back to work. Um, so that was mid-March. Jane and I have a friend who is in media and she's a uh, correspondent on a morning television show. We had done this FaceTime group call together and she called us basically maybe 24 hours later and said, hey, the CDC is going to announce guidelines around cloth face masks, and uh, can you make 50 for myself, my producers, my cameramen, because we all are still going to be reporting, and I get a town car, but they are taking public transportation to get to the studio, so can you make them? Did you know kind of what, even what shape or what you needed to even so, kind of make the map? Yeah. So our designer, our head designer, Aruf, is this brilliant, brilliant man. And he lived two blocks from our office. And he had been, and I told him to stay home, but he wanted to basically just go to the office and work on things. He had been designing the perfect face mask that would make your face look beautiful, but also protect you for a couple of days and just showing them for friends, for our team. Um, he had just been playing with a pattern. I didn't even know this until I went to the office and said, hey, Arut, could we make some face masks for our friend uh, on this TV program? 
And he said, well, funny you should say that. I've been playing with this pattern. <laughs> so it's funny because when Lisa first called me and it was about making masks for our girlfriends who are having a hard time finding them, the answer was, of course, yes, enthusiastically, yes. You know, uh, she was asking whether she could cut into some of the fabric that we had in her office. And uh, so, of course, that was uh, an easy yes. Um, And then a week later, you know, as those were sort of out in the world, all sorts of other people started calling and asking, well, can you make one for me? Can you make one for my company? Can I buy them from you? And Lisa called and said, hey, I think we can actually you know, uh, do more of these. And uh, I was super reluctant. You know, it felt like, oh, like there were all the things of sort of, is this, this is not what, you know, there's a mourning period. I have really been thinking about grief and its role in change and pivots. And I think I really had to grieve the fact that I had this startup idea that was getting off the ground. And now, you know, that was not going to be the core of what I was doing anymore. Um, so that was hard. And the idea of how do we price this? How do we market it? I don't want to do something that is not helpful to the community. But then, you know, when we're thinking about doing it sort of just at or below cost as a contribution, that felt not right either for how hard we were working. <laughs> Um, so there are all these little things that had to come together and finding the balance of, look, we're not going to make money off of this. I think any company that's talking about profit right now is crazy. It's really about how do we keep our teams sustained in some way and how do we give back to the community? So it was pretty quick um, and easy early on to say, hey, we're going to donate a mask for every mask that we make. And we were doing this on the fly before all the other companies got involved in making masks, by the way. So we didn't have any um, guidelines or any other examples to look at. We weren't sure what everybody else was going to do. We just knew what our resources were and how we could put something together in a way that supported our teammates and supported the community. And so I think that's where um, it's actually a lot more efficient to be a mission-driven company uh, because if you have those guiding principles, then it helps you cut through all the BS and figure out what to do. I mean, I think we could have been an analysis paralysis. Or we could have made missteps the way some bigger companies have where they've tried to, you know, pivot into face masks, but in a way that was not genuinely thoughtful about the community and not transparent. I mean, I think some companies might be trying to, to do the right thing, but you can't expect a customer to know what's in your heart. Uh, in this era with customers and employees, we have to be super transparent. I mean, I never thought that I would go on a publication like GeekWire and say, uh, our revenues dropped to zero. Like, it's not a very cool thing as a business person to <laughs> admit that you have no sales. Uh, but I kind of had to do that to be completely transparent about what we were doing and why. And, uh, and to sort of invite people into our effort together. It's funny because Lisa was saying, like, I don't know what to call this. Is this a project? Is it, you know, it's not really like a business. Um, it's not a product line. And so we ended up, we've been calling it an effort because that's what it feels like to us. It's an effort to be helpful and useful. Um, but it's, 
you know, it, it, um, it helped a lot through these conversations. Like this is where, you know, mission matters. If you really care about that, then it helps, uh, it helps you cut through all the other clutter. And for Gravitas, I think what, you know, because Jane's an investor in my company, we have these fairly open conversations about um, on the Gravitas business side, we were essentially for the first two weeks of, you know, the shelter and, you know, all of these things happening across cities, which kind of, I would say mid to late March, um, we went 50% off on what I call the essentials, right? Things that I knew people still needed. So $88 leggings, we moved at $44. Um, Tops for video conferences, um, our best-selling $118 dress. And we were generating really strong conversion on those things. And when the face mask opportunity, not opportunity, but the face mask need emerged, um, Jane and I talked a lot about I said, you know, at this point in time, I don't think we're going to do a September runway show, right? I, I just don't think it's in line with what the values of our society are going to be for the next 12 to 18 months or maybe for longer. And what I think the world needs right now are the essentials. Like even essential workers, just the phrase essential, what is absolutely necessary, what is important, but they want these things in a way that are still beautiful, that still bring joy. And so as we started donating products, these face masks to people in the medical profession, we had doctors emailing us saying, this is a super stressful day. I want to send you a picture of your beautiful, fashionable, perfectly fitting, joyous pattern over my N95 because your patterns, the beauty, the beauty, the beauty of these face masks, they give me joy on a super stressful day. And I remember getting that first email and saying, Jane, I think this might be what my company stands for over the next year is the essentials, but in a way that bring people joy. I don't know if a woman will need to go to work in a traditional workplace in the next three to six months, maybe longer. And so our business has to take that into account um, as we as we move forward, as we plan, right? Because right now in this moment for the last 20 days, Jane and I and our teams have been focused on getting as much, essentially, beautiful PPE out into the world as possible for the front line and for communities. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what does September and October look like for my business? And how is it, how, what are we doing now that will inform how I think about what Gravitas in total does for fall? Um, and it's really nice to, to be able to link those two things. Yeah, I was as you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, for both of you being able to and I love what Jane said earlier about being honest about about the grief too. I think so many people, um, not just entrepreneurs, but I think just people in general are going through a collective grieving right now about what what might have been, what would have been plans that we had. And I just think it's so interesting to to be balancing that and at the same time finding a way to kind of swallow fear about uncertainty in the future and to try to just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. And so my question to both of you is, what do you think it is about um, each of you that in your past experiences that prepared you for right now? Is there some formative experience in your life that you're drawing on for this kind of resilience? 
Yeah, I I will say that um, my mom. Well, first of all, I, just in that theme of grief, I, Jane, I hope you don't mind me making this public, but you did write the most beautiful email to me, and the thing that I started to cry over was. You said, like, in some corner of your heart is your heart breaking because you should be getting ready for your next runway show, right? Like, there there was this moment where, like, she totally gets what I'm going through because I am mourning the fact that all my plans for Gravitas are basically obliterated now, right, at least for the next six months. Um, So thank you for acknowledging the heartbreak, Jane. I do appreciate that Uh, as we lug fabric 30 blocks to be able to make face masks for Fifteen to sixteen dollars a pack or a mask. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, oh, so go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You know, I think where I get this perspective from is that I have uh, been dealing with a healthcare issue in my family. So my husband was diagnosed with cancer last year, and um, uh, having to work through that, uh, it's been like such a revelation in kind of. I call it like resilience training, you know, that um, even as his health is improving and there are amazing new treatments today, uh, the idea of, you know, your pre-cancer life is over, right? Like we will never go back to the days when we were able to live like we, there wasn't this sort of um, uh, sense of mortality. There's like grieving the life before, but also, still finding joy in the life today and it's radically prioritizing to go through an experience like that to say what is important to me how do I want to spend my time uh how do I want to spend my energy and uh uh all of that was really informative of the way that I dealt with this whole COVID-19 situation you know it felt familiar lessons about how to really embrace what is right now, that any kind of regret is about putting yourself in the past and anxiety is worrying about what's in the future. And what's interesting to me about grief is I think our bodies don't understand that you're not dealing with whatever it is that you're thinking about. So if you're worried about the future, you know, it's like you you respond and your blood pressure and cortisol levels as though you are going through that negative event, even though right now it is a sunny day in Seattle. I am on the phone with two amazing women <laughs> and it's, there uh, is nothing wrong with my right this very second. There's a lot to be grateful for. Um, so I think that experience has been definitely the most transformative for me and it informs everything that I do going forward. And I think people will come back to this era like that. I think that uh, living through this quarantine era will really reshape the way people look at their priorities. And, you know, it's hard to keep it every day. It's hard to feel it all the time that sense of urgency. Uh, But I do think this will shape a generation in a way that, you know, um, that is a, is a big shared transformative experience. Yeah. And I I think so too. Um, And I think the thing that I keep, well, you know, it's so funny, Heather, which is like, I think in hindsight, 
you'd go, oh, this totally made sense that Jane and Lisa would do this, right? I, I, I mean, not, not, I, I think in hindsight you could be like, okay, kind of makes sense. They're friends, they're partners, they, they, they figured this out, they both had resources that they could contribute, and they turned it into something very quickly that could help people. Um, I would say uh, I don't think that's how it felt over the last three weeks <laughs> from my side. And um, the two things that we kept coming back to, well, my mother – um, my mother always said, when tsunamis happen, you know, men make speeches and women clean up the beaches, right? She was like, you know, women should get in there. And um, my mom kept saying to me, you know, you're so lucky you can do something right now, right? She kept saying like, oh, you know, you want to look back on this in a decade or two decades and, you know, you want to know what you were doing to help people during this period of time when most people felt helpless and most people couldn't do anything, and so at the beginning when this started, I just said, well, Jane, I don't know what this is, but we should do something rather than nothing. Right? <laughs> let's just do something. And then Jane turned it into, well, let's do the best we can for as long as we can. And I really love that mindset because there was and there kind of is not really a strategy, a fully formed plan. It's just day to day we are able to get products to help our front line and products to help our community. And the second thing I would say is like, we also reevaluate it. And Jane and I kind of, I call it the seesaw. We take turns um, panicking, being totally calm. Um, you know, so from day to day, I'll call Jane and be like, I don't think I can make any more masks. I can't actually, I don't know how to do it. She's like, don't worry, let's talk through it. You're not alone. And then there'll be days that Jane will be like, are we really doing this? Are, are we really? And I'll be like, of course we are, right? This is, this is, we're helping people. So we've taken turns, but there's been no, like, there was no plan. And I think sometimes when you call it a pivot, people think that we were in a war room planning this. But no, we're just doing the best we can for as long as we can per Jane's opening line to me when I said, let's do something rather than nothing. I also think the important thing to realize in anything that is related to sort of change is that it's super uncomfortable and you're going to stumble a lot at the beginning, right? So we had way more orders at the beginning than we had expected. And Lisa and I are of the sort of come from a customer service background where we're not used to shipping something out, you know, two weeks, uh, sometimes up to three weeks uh, after we take an order this is just, it felt impossible to us, like intolerable. Uh, but that is the world right now because the Midtown sorting facility in New York is having huge issues with, you know, getting parcels out on time. Like uh, I'm trying to explain to customers, this is sort of in some ways it's like a war zone, you know, you might not feel that way. There aren't air raid sirens going off, but how do you do business when you can't sit together, right? How do you, I mean, we have to ship our fabric to Lisa's home and then she drags it, you know, you can't be in public transportation, like just to find a way to get it up to her office. They're just, every step has these logistics that are insane. And even though it's sort of not really our fault, at the end of the day, we are the CEOs and founders. And so it is our responsibility. And so, you know, when you take on a new effort, it is also taking on all of the, you know, the psychological burden of not doing it the way you would want to do it if you got to control every step, not doing it a way that would, you would normally do it if you could. 
uh, and we're here because it's not normal times. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to, you know, we're always sort of uh, uh, feeling this back and forth to each other, too. Like Lisa saying, hey, you know, these orders are going to take longer than I want to get out. Um, you know, the, the sewers couldn't come in because it was raining. Uh, you know, people are biking because of transportation. I mean, they're just the logistical challenges are enormous with every step. And so to, you know, kind of multiply out the burden of that just to get one simple mask across the country is taking Herculean efforts. And I think for the most part, we feel like, hey, this is, it's better to do something than nothing. We're going to do the best we can for as long as we can. Uh, but it's, it's um, you know, especially on Lisa, who has more of the production uh, sort of responsibility, it, I can see how much of a toll it takes not be able to do things in a way that you wish you could do them but you're still doing them and i think for me yeah. that's like the larger point i think to people who are listening who may who may have their own ideas of things that they want to do but they haven't gotten out of their own way to do them right whether it's a creative project or some type of uh, uh effort to help people in the community you know oftentimes i feel like you know, people have lots of great ideas, but very few people actually go ahead and execute on that. Because and for a lot, and not per, I, I think that's the big theme um, from for us, Heather. Is uh, I think one of the things that I've been so pleasantly surprised by is, um, you know, we can't we can no longer procrastinate when it comes to connection or reaching out to people. So Jane's example of me hauling fabric thirty blocks. Uh, I had two former McKinsey clients, one of whom uh, was the vice president of global logistics for Mark Jacobs for 16 years, uh, send me a message on LinkedIn saying, I see what you're doing. If I could help at all, please let me know. And I messaged her back and I said, well, I've got to move 100 pounds of fabric. And she said, I live 20 minutes outside the city. There's no traffic. I'll be there tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. with my Jeep. And she literally moved 100 pounds of fabric. She's done that twice now. And it was unbelievable. I hadn't seen Bonnie in maybe eight years now. We haven't physically seen each other in person, but she said, I'm just sitting at home. My kids are home from college. We're watching Netflix. I'd rather go out and help you. And so that moment of not procrastinating, reaching out to someone. And she said, that's the most useful I felt all week was just hauling that fabric for you and, and taking you to the Dunkin' Donuts that was open, right? Um, and so it's unbelievable the network of people that have been activated by the fact that we just decided to do this. And a lot of our friends in corporate environments have placed orders for masks for their entire team without even asking for a corporate discount. They're like, we would just like to do this for our teams and we'd like to donate something. So you're always pleasantly surprised when you put something out there into the world that so many people you haven't heard from in years have put up their hands to help or to support. Um, that's one yeah. of the greatest things that's come out of this. I love that. I think it's such a great, I just think it's really instructive for people to recognize that sometimes you just have to put it out there, even if it's not fully formed, even if you haven't quite figured out how you're going to do it. That's why I share, the I, um, I share the challenges not to be discouraging, but really just to say there is nothing that's going to work perfectly. 
you know, if you're waiting to execute on the perfect plan or to have the perfect execution, <laughs> it's going to be hard. Uh, so, uh, you know, because sometimes when you listen to people and how they're doing things, it's hard. You, yeah. know, you don't get the sense of, like, what all the challenges are and what all the little barriers are um, to getting it done. And I, I share that not to discourage, but just to say, look, uh, you know, you can still do it anyway. Nothing is going to be perfect. It's going to be sort of messy. And that's okay. Uh, just embrace the mess. <laughs> Which hospitals are you working with? I know this, I'm guessing there are so many, but can you give like yes. a, a short list of, of yes. where the mass sure. is going? Some of the places we've donated are um, Morristown Memorial Hospital, the Lenox Hill Team, Tufts Medical Center, uh, the U.S. Postal Service. Um, and Heather, a lot of folks don't know this, but many of the postal workers are assigned two disposable masks per week that they have to sign out. Uh, and so we've been giving them additional ones, whether it's to the processing center in Midtown New York City, the carriers in this area, and the women working the, uh, the, the teller desks at, at the Midtown Post Office. Um, I know, though, Jane, are there others? Uh, I've just rattled off a few that I had on the top of my head. Um, uh, I think those are the, uh, you were, um, kind of doing, driving most of the donations early on. So, um, there were Spokane hospitals, uh, local Washington, um, uh, locations, but I, I don't have them off the top of my head. <laughs> and if there are people who are listening who want to get involved, what do they need to do? So you can find our masks at gravitasnewyork.com or at toki.com. It doesn't matter to us uh, where you go. And we're actually taking suggestions also online there. So if there are different hospitals or if you have a friend in need, please let us know. That's the way that we've done a lot of our donations, actually, is our customers sort of pointing out uh, different hospitals or organizations to us. Uh, and also we're sort of trying to be thoughtful about our communities. We got involved in this from what we call the two epicenters of the pandemic. Uh, early on, it was New York and Seattle, and we were really looking for local hospitals to be able to help. And uh, uh, now it's sort of more of a national effort. So we're um, open to um, to different ideas, and there's definitely websites that also uh, list the areas of greatest need that we've been tracking as well. We've also had a lot of customers just buy packs and take them to a local fire department or a local first aid center. So that's another way. If you want to make the donation incredibly direct, you can just purchase them and take them to some place in your local community. Oh, that sounds great. And just drop them off yourself or, yeah, since you yeah. know if you're on the ground where they're needed, absolutely. Well, I am so inspired by both of you, and I'm sure everyone listening will be too. And I, there were just so many great nuggets in here and in this interview about um, just about life. I mean, getting through this current crisis, but also I think life lessons that really apply um, beyond the immediate time. And, and as we all said, this is a situation we may be dealing with for months and years to come. And I think having some having some advice around resilience or at least people that are sharing stories that um, can help inspire others to get through this time. It's just, I think they're just really invaluable. So I thank you both for your time and your efforts. And uh, I just wish both of you good health and I hope we get to see each other in person very, very soon. I know it feels like, like a therapy. dream to be able to have a drink. huh? <laughs> 
As of mid-May, Gravitas and Toki have donated 4,000 masks to frontline workers in the New York area and Seattle, as Gravitas seamstresses based in New York have made 4,000 masks out of Toki's joyfully patterned fabrics as part of their Buy a Mask, Donate a Mask campaign. Thanks for listening to The New Chardonnay. Check out heathercabot.com for info about my new book, The New Chardonnay, coming this August from Currency, an imprint of Penguin Random House. Until next time, take care.